0: Welcome to Career
1: Day on the Martech Podcast. Today, we're going to learn about the various skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his or her career. This podcast is sponsored by Knit. Knit is a dynamic ad insertion platform that allows you to reach your target audience with podcast ads on premium podcast content like CNN, Bleacher Report, and TMZ. Knit is a self-service platform with no minimum order sizes, so it's easy to test no matter the size of your business or your budget. And you can choose which shows, geographies, and keywords you want to target. I'm a Knit customer and can vouch that it's an easy and cost-efficient way to market your product or service. If you're interested in learning about NIT, click the link in our show notes or go to benjshap.com NIT, that's K-N-I-T, to book a strategy session, and I will personally help you set up your first campaign. That's benjshap.com slash NIT, K-N-I-T, to start building your audience with NIT, bringing podcast advertising to the people. That's NIT. Joining us for career day is an expert in relationship marketing. April Mullen is the Director of Consumer First Marketing Adoptions at Celligent Marketing Cloud. Prior to her current role, April started her career off working towards becoming an art curator. She worked in a journalism-related field. She's been an adjunct professor, all before pivoting into tech. So we're really excited to hear how she's navigated the career landscape and landed at Celligent. Here is our interview with the director of Consumer First Marketing Adoptions for Seligent Marketing Cloud, April Mullen. April, welcome to the Martech podcast.
2: Thank you for that very kind introduction. I'm
1: not done flattering you. <laughs> I have to thank you. Seligent wrote an article about the 6 podcasts that marketers should be listening to, and you were kind enough to highlight this show as uh, one of the suggested pieces of content, so As the producer, as the host, as the creator, I just want to say thank you so much for talking about the show, and I am thrilled to have you as our guest.
2: Well, thank you, and we love your podcast. We're big fans.
1: Awesome. Well, glad to hear it. Let's start off by talking a little bit about how you got started in marketing.
2: Sure. I started over 10 years ago. And I was aspiring to become an art curator. And I actually have a BA in art history. So a lot of people are like, well, how did you get into digital marketing if you started with a liberal arts degree and you were on this track to become an art curator? So I'd interned at a couple prestigious museums. I cataloged a private art collection and I graduated college. And I thought, what am I going to do with my life? I think I want to be an art curator. But when I dug into that, I realized it would require a lot of schooling. So this is where I probably should have done my homework. So I decided I didn't wanna go on to get a master's degree and a PhD in art history only to come out into a really challenging job market where I would have a lot of competition, not that there isn't competition in business, but it's just incredibly difficult to get a prestigious job in art history.
1: The weight of potentially $400,000 in debt from getting a master's degree right after going through your undergraduate seems like a big hurdle to climb when you're working in the art trade.
2: It is. And the other thing is that it doesn't pay very well. So I would accumulate a massive amount of debt to put myself through school, and then I wouldn't have a lucrative job. So I decided that I was ready to make a pivot. Was reading a lot of books. Back then it was message boards online about digital marketing. It sounded interesting. And funny enough, when I was in college, I was in a social group that voted me the biggest listserv geek. Do you remember listservs?
1: I didn't know that was something that can be granted as an award. Where (laughs) I'm from, it was the most likely to succeed, funniest. I think those were all the awards that people gave out in high school and in college. Tell me about why you ended up in that role.
2: So I was a part of this organization in college. And the way we communicate with all of the members of the group is to send an email to the listserv, which would then, if you understand how the old listservs worked, you would send to an email alias, and then it would distribute it across all of the email addresses of the members. And I just loved talking about my experiences or emailing people about a research project or whatever the topic was, I was constantly distributing messaging out to this organization, which had about 100 members. So I think you could probably say that I was maybe trying to channel becoming a blogger or a writer of sorts, but using the medium that I had at hand, which was the listserv.
1: Now that I think about it, of my college friends, the person most likely to spam our entire database, I might have actually been up for that award.
2: (laughs) I have actually been jokingly referred to as a spam cannon before, so I understand.
1: (laughs) Spam cannon. The visual is incredible. (laughs) So you started reaching out to all of your community members in a listserv. This was in college, am I correct? Yes. So you're working on content creation and you're getting your chops Talk to me about once you had your departure from college and from the art world, where did you head?
2: So I took some time, um, did some research, and decided that I wanted to pursue a digital marketing career. The great thing about art history is that you have to write a lot. My senior year, I probably wrote over 100 pages of content. So I thought I can take the skills I have as a writer, and I can take the skills I have of doing observations with art history, believe it or not. In our history, they have this thing called iconography, where you basically are dissecting meaning from a visual by taking context clues from the different shapes or objects within the artwork. So I thought between the writing and the observations that I did about the world, my obsession with the listserv, and also I was on a lot of chat rooms back then. I was an early adopter of AOL. I decided, I think I could do this as a career. I think I can make this translate. So I was self-taught as a lot of people early in digital were. And I taught myself as much as I could. And I updated my resume. I put the right types of content in my resume to help digital marketers see that I have the skills that I could learn to do the job. And within 90 days of sending out my resume, the digital marketing resume... I received my first job and it was at a catalog slash e-commerce company that sold women's clothing. And I was hired as an e-marketing coordinator. And I supported the other analysts on the team. So I supported someone who did email marketing, someone who managed comparison shopping engines. Do you remember those?
1: I do. (laughs) Well, I worked at eBay and eBay acquired a couple of the shopping comparison sites. I think shopping.com ended up sort of being a conglomerate of those.
2: Exactly. So I managed the catalog feeds to the various comparison shopping sites. I managed relationships with affiliates. I launched Bizarre Voice Ratings and Reviews. Bizarre Voice was a very young company back then. And I launched the reviews on the site and I moderated them. So I did that for a while. And then the person that ran the email marketing program left the company and she left right before holiday, which as you know, holiday is a very busy time for e-commerce.
1: It's the most wonderful time of the year.
2: (laughs) It is. So I immediately found myself getting a promotion. I was moved into an analyst role. And I managed the email program. That's where I kind of went down an email path for some time where I was managing email, relationship marketing, mobile marketing. I also helped implement a Unica, the old campaign management solution. So I started to really move into that database slash relationship marketing path.
1: So it's interesting. You basically started off with, let's say, a non traditional way of learning content creation and copywriting. That's what landed you in your first digital marketing job. And stumbling into email marketing and kind of getting into relationship marketing, which is the career path that you pursued down the road, was somewhat accidental. It was really just happen circumstance that somebody left during the holidays and you were the woman standing next to the vacancy. Or am I oversimplifying?
2: No, that's exactly correct. And at the time, I was the only one that knew how to use the email system. I also at that point had learned how to code using HTML. So I think it was a little act of desperation by my company where they were like, we need someone and we need someone now. Oh, April knows how to do this. Let's get her in here. So I took over the role and my manager at the time challenged me to move out of being purely production oriented. So I was much more operational back then to being more strategic. So I started taking over the quarterly planning meetings with our C-level executives where I would present the numbers of how the program was performing, would do planning with the merchandising team. So it really catapulted me into not just being a doer, but also getting in front of senior level people and helping to make business decisions that would drive revenue for the company. So that was a really exciting pivot for me.
1: So I took a sneak peek at your LinkedIn profile prior to us getting on this podcast together and noticed that one of the resume bullets is that you were involved with a women in email marketing group. The reason why I bring that up is I want to ask you about the experience when you went from being an operator to working with your executive team. Was that something where you felt like you were one of the only women in the room? Did it have an impact when you were relatively earlier on your career? How did your gender play an impact into the experience?
2: You know, it's interesting. I didn't really feel it as early in my career. The first job I had was a women's catalog company, an e-commerce site. So because it was women's clothing, there were a lot of female merchandise leaders. Our president was a female. And so there were a lot of women just by the nature of the product that we sold. However, as I moved on and progressed to other jobs, and then now that I'm in tech... I see less and less women. And I actually have found that women look up to me. And that feels like a really weird position to be in because I think of myself as someone that would still want to look up to others. But there are a lot of women that reach out to me saying, how do I get to where you are? I'm aspiring to become a leader in the marketing or MarTech space. How can I get there? And it baffles me, but I also see it. There just really aren't a lot of women. And so I could tell you how we founded Women of Email, if you think that would be interesting to dive into that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think one of the reasons why I bring that up is there's been a lot of conversation this year specifically about the gender balance in technology. And you're one of the first women that we've had on the podcast that I would consider to be in a marketing leadership role. We've talked to some independent consultants and some content creators as well. But I do think that understanding the path for women to become career executives, and I don't know if the path is any different than men, but I assume that the experience is different. So I'd absolutely love to hear about the women in email, as long as we're not skipping too far ahead. uh, Tell me a little bit about that group.
2: So we... I say we. I have co-founders. Jen Capstraw, she is the evangelist at Iterable. She's basically the same role I am at a competitor, but we are very close friends. Kristen Bond, she works for Girl Scouts of America. And then Laura Atkins, she runs her own deliverability consultancy. In June of 2016, we had an email circulating between us saying, where are all the women in the email marketing space? And actually, Kristen had published an article about the absence of women at email marketing and relationship marketing and even MarTech conferences. So she had posted it within a an industry group. And there was so much commentary, but it was a lot of men commenting and I found that the women were afraid to speak up, myself included. So the four of us had a private email going saying, what are we going to do about this? There's obviously something holding women back when you get to a certain level. Again, I myself did not feel the lack of gender diversity when I was younger in my career, when I was a junior. But as I've become more senior, I definitely feel it. And my co-founders definitely feel it. And so we said... We should do something productive, not an angry pushback. We don't seek to correct the industry at large, but what can we control and how can we help this? And out of that email thread in early June of 2016 came the idea of women of email. And our whole mission is to promote leadership among women in the email marketing relationship marketing niche. So what we've done is we have 2,500 plus members on all of the continents, except for Antarctica, we're in over 30 countries. And we have mentored a lot of women, particularly in the speaking area. We found that part of promoting the visibility of women in their career is to get them on stages and get them speaking. So we first tackled that and we approached it head on and we asked the members as they started joining the organization, what's holding you back? Why are you not speaking? And what we found was a lot of women said, I don't think that I'm senior enough, or I don't think that my program is sophisticated enough. I'm not a thought leader. I don't think of myself as a thought leader. But then you'd have a conversation and you'd learn that they're building these amazing programs and their C-suite is incredibly happy with the work that they're doing. And then it just takes a little nudge to say, that's amazing. What you've built is incredible. And a lot of people would value hearing about your story and the program that you've built and the success that you've had. And sometimes it takes just that little nudge, that brief conversation, or even that brief email saying what you're working on is valuable and it should be shared is enough to get someone to say, okay. I will create a conference proposal and we'll help the women in the group with their proposals. We'll connect them with conference leaders. And we've placed a lot of first-time speakers. So we've put over 60 women on conference stages globally since we founded in 2016.
1: It's an amazing story about how you're rallying women who are working in a field that has traditionally been dominated by men. And one of the things that I am excited about is being able to provide a forum for women that are successful in marketing to be able to tell their stories, hopefully to inspire the other women who feel like it may be difficult to get out there. So again, thank you for not only putting the group together, but also for sharing your story of how it started. Outside of the women's group, I know that you've had some other non-traditional work experience related to tech. You've worked in sort of a journalism-related field. And you've also been a professor. So how did you go from your experience in digital marketing to those roles while you're being a co-creator of the Women of Email group?
2: I think I lose a lot of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't actually employed by MediaPost, but I was a columnist for them for several years. I technically can still write for them. So I should reach out and write something new if you have any ideas.
1: Your experience on the MarTech podcast.
2: My experience on the MarTech podcast. That's right. So Media Post, I wrote for their email insider column for several years. I have over 50 posts out there. So it took part of that art history experience. I also was news editor of my college paper. So I've always kind of had this passion for writing. And clearly, I still write today because I wrote about the MarTech podcast on our blog.
1: Which we're grateful for.
2: (laughs) Thank you. But that was really enjoyable writing for Media Post. And then Pivoting into teaching and academia, I've been an adjunct professor for the business school at the University of Missouri, St. Louis for the past five years. And what's interesting about that is the opportunity came to me. So there was a guy, Dr. Perry Drake, he used to teach at NYU. He's from St. Louis, but he moved to New York. He spent many years at NYU. He started a program for returning professionals at NYU. It was really all about teaching people about digital marketing, traditional marketers that really didn't know about this new digital thing. So teaching them different courses on how to become a digital marketer. And he left NYU and came to St. Louis and founded a similar program at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. And he kind of blew into town. I say blew into town because to meet this guy, he just has a high level of energy. He actually founded a conference here that has grown into a very large size but he has a way of rallying people. So he kind of put the call out. He said, I'm starting this program. I need people who have their MBA and are professionals and really good at what they do in these different topic areas. And one of them was email and relationship marketing. And someone had received his pitch and he said, who else should I talk to? And this person said, you should meet with April Mullen. She's local and she'd be great for this. So this guy that I had never met or even heard of reached out to me and said, can we meet for coffee? And I said, sure. So I meet up with him and he explains the program. And of course, I'm really excited because I've always wanted to teach. I had taught some classes at for-profit schools, but this was a chance to get into an accredited business school and to make a difference on my community to bring this type of content to the community. As I mentioned earlier, I was a self-taught digital marketer. That's how the first wave of digital marketers learned. There was no textbook. There was no professor that could teach you this content. It was something that you had to teach yourself. And I thought, if I could take what I've learned and then share that with others, a class at a time, that would just be really fulfilling.
1: Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, MuteNex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X.co. Talk to me about what an adjunct professor is as opposed to a professor. What does that mean?
2: basically it means I'm not tenure track. I am not on a career path as becoming a full professor.
1: Right. So it is a part-time role as opposed to a career, but you have your own class.
2: Correct. Yes. And actually some of the tenure track professors have attended my course to learn about digital marketing, which has been really fun.
1: Sounds intimidating.
2: It is, but it's not. So I started teaching five years ago. And what's been great about the experience is my classes are either MBA students or professional returning students who are seeking to receive a certificate. And a lot of these returning students are giants of the industry. So they've worked for incredible brands like Nestle, KitchenAid, and they have years of experience, far more years of experience than I And they come to my class because they want to freshen their skills or even learn skills that they did not have up to that point because they knew that their jobs would be at stake if they didn't come and learn about this digital change that's happening in marketing. So it's actually really fun because when I'm teaching and I'm sharing the content, we apply a lot of it to what the students are actually doing in their daily jobs. So it's almost like part consulting because we're actually applying it in real time in class. And we're sharing what the students are working on in their daily lives. And part academia, because it is an accredited school, they do have to pass the class. So there is the academic component, but I'm not just standing there sharing information with them. It's kind of this interesting meeting of the minds that's been really enjoyable. It's something that I'm just very passionate about.
1: So obviously you've been very busy. You had your full-time job working for a digital marketing agency where you're focused on email, using some of the skills and experience that came from the art world and some of the other experiences you had before. You ended up working at Media Post. You're writing a bunch of articles. You're teaching your own class. You've started the women of email group with a couple of your friends. And then somehow you end up at Celigent. So did you go directly to Celigent from your digital marketing agency?
2: No, I didn't. Actually, after I left the catalog company before Media Post and Women of Email and all that, I worked at Scott Trade and I started there in July of 2008. So, do you remember what was happening in the industry in 2008?
1: Beginning of 2008.
2: July 2008.
1: Is that the launch of Facebook?
2: The stock market crashed. Well, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty terrifying.
1: So that's not in the marketing industry. That's every industry.
2: It's financial services, but I was working in a digital marketing capacity.
1: I knew that happened.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so the market crashed and we were terrified. Everyone at work was like, are we going to lose our jobs? This is a really terrifying time. And what ended up happening is our online application actually crashed. Because there were so many clients that were leaving full service firms that were like, I got to put my money somewhere, but I don't want to pay a ton of money on commissions to pay an advisor to make these trades for me. I'll just move it into Scott Trade, which was a discount brokerage that's since been bought by TD Ameritrade. And it was a crazy ride. So when I started, the market was crashing. The brand only had one email newsletter going out every month and it was just very basic. And by the time I left, we had built a fully automated CRM communications program. We did a lot of MarTech shopping. (laughs) So that was an interesting learning experience where I learned how to go through the RFP process and purchase solutions and how to make all of those different solutions fit together having a CRM system, an email service provider, campaign management solution. We were piecing all of these things together. And amazingly enough, they worked. So five years in, I thought, I came here and I built what I came here to build. And I've learned a lot. And I had been out in the world talking about my success because my marketing vendors were really excited and wanted me to talk about case studies. So I'd been presenting at conferences. And I just thought, you know what? I'm ready to get my hands dirty. And that means going to the dark side, which is the agency side. So I went to an agency for a while and I had some amazing clients there, helped launch a new brand at Nestle, helped stand up some of their tech and their communications but then decided I was ready to go to an even darker side, which is the MarTech space.
1: Is there a darker side?
2: <laughs> so I came to Seligent. And at the time, Celligent was Strongview. And prior to that, they were Strongmail. But I came to Strongview because I had made a lot of connections in my network. And I can't stress enough the importance of networking to anyone that's listening because it's so key. So Strongview had ranked highest in the Forrester Wave the year I came on board. And I noticed that several of my friends from different MarTech companies were moving over to Strongview. So I just reached out one day and said, what's going on over there? I was feeding into the buzz and I was really excited. So I said, what's going on? I'm kind of interested in coming to work there. And before I knew it, I was on a plane interviewing and got the job and came on board But not long after I came to the company, and you know how these things go, we sold. And we went through some changes. And it's been quite a learning experience. So when I came on board, I was hired on a marketing services team. And as many people know, in a technology company, when you are trying to value the tech, the services can't be too heavy. So There was a change in the organization where a lot of the services people were moved into different roles. And so I was pushed onto the sales team and tasked with helping to sell the solution sitting between the sales rep and the solution consultant. I was the storyteller that had experience being in the client's shoes to bring the story to life.
1: So what's interesting to me here is that now you've gone from a non-traditional tech background in the art trade to getting digital marketing experience, working in email marketing, working for a specific brand, doing email marketing and expanding into CRM, putting together a MarTech stack. You went to an agency and now all of a sudden you're in a role that is basically a sales role or a sales assistant role. So you've covered a lot of ground at this point. When you started to get into this sales role, did you feel like you were on a career path or roller coaster?
2: A little bit of both. Being in sales enablement was a lot of fun. And I actually still do quite a bit of support for the sales team today. It's really fun though, because my job was to go to brands, speak with their marketing teams, people who are in roles that very much looked a lot like the role I had at Scott Trade, And I could sit down with them and say, I understand what you're going through. I understand the overwhelming feeling of having to select vendors and figure out how it all works together. So let's talk. And we could have a conversation. And my job was to then take what their need was and bring it to life through a story. And the story being, here's what your first year on the solution could look like. Here's how the integration with this other technology that you're using could also help develop this program. And it was a blast, but it was also I think I rode on so many airplanes that year. It was insane. I lived on airplanes.
1: It was a blast and basically a blast off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're working in sales enablement and you're at Celligent at this point, right? You started off working for Strongview. Was it just a rebranding that got it to be Seligent, or what was the story there?
2: So, Strongview was purchased by HGGC, the private equity firm in California. They had also purchased a company in Europe called Celigent that was very similar to Strongview. And they decided to merge the two companies. So, we took on the Celigent name, and most of the leadership from Celigent stayed on board. And then a lot of the Strongview leadership went away. So, that was also, <laughs> speaking of roller coaster, A little scary change that happened in the organization and my role shifted again.
1: So you went from sales enablement to what I'm assuming is your current role now?
2: Well, kind of. So prior to the role I'm in now, I was on the innovation team, which is a team we had temporarily. We decided to create an innovation team, but we decided that innovation was something pervasive throughout the company and not something that really needed a team to be dedicated to it. So then my role shifted into the marketing team, which is interesting because my role isn't just marketing. So I do client marketing, but I'm also one of our thought leaders. I speak publicly at conferences, in webinars, at our own events. I do a lot of communications to our own clients, educating them on strategies that they could be implementing in their own programs. But I'm also in this interesting role where I'm also one of our subject matter experts in terms of strategy. So I frequently visit clients in North America, and I also have relationships with some of them in Europe. And I also support the sales team occasionally. So when there's an opportunity where they feel like some strategic guidance, similar to what I did back in the Strongview days on the sales enablement team, I get brought in for that. So I still live on airplanes quite a bit.
1: The interesting thing to me about your role is that you are the Director of Consumer First Marketing Adoptions. So you have a six-word title. And unpacking that, I understand what a director is, but Consumer First Marketing Adoptions. Tell me, what does that mean?
2: So at Celligent, we're all about consumer first marketing that traditionally marketers have been focused on, I have a product and I need to promote it. And we think that should be flipped on its head. And that concept has really caught on with a lot of... That's pervasive across marketing now. So we decided that if we were going to evangelize this idea, that my role would be dedicating to ensuring that it actually happened in practice. So the way we talk about it with our clients, the strategies that we recommend, even some of the conversations that we have with industry analysts, sometimes I support those conversations. It's all kind of living with me. There are a lot of people in the organization that work on it again innovation is not something that can just live with one person but a lot of times when people are like i need to bring a story to life or i need a strategy that's going to resonate with this client or this analyst or at this conference i am one of our resident storytellers
1: now that we've talked through your career I've already sort of recapped a little bit about how you've gone from the art community into digital marketing, and then on the side, being an advocate for women in technology, being a journalist, being a professor, and now working sort of in a leadership evangelist role Doing customer relationship management. And the things that stick out to me is that A, you've done multiple things at once and you've really bounced around, but relied on a core skill set of being able to effectively communicate. How much do you instinctually rely on just the underlying skill set that you have? And how much are you trying to develop your skills to go a specific direction?
2: I think I'm relying a lot on my innate skill set of being a good communicator. It's just something that has worked really well for me. So I do tend to rely on that quite a bit. Having said that, I'm always seeking to improve. I'm a work in progress, I like to say. I'm always learning. I'm always seeking new sources of knowledge. But primarily, I am leaning on, I call it my gut instinct, which helps me with my communication skills and It's something that has built a lot of trust. I've noticed that senior leaders tend to trust my decisions as it pertains to how we should say something, what we should be saying. And that feels really good. That's a skill that I didn't realize I had until probably the last couple of years. But it's one that I will continue to focus on because it does work for me. And I read something recently. I wish I could remember where I read it. That communication skills is a soft skill that is greatly lacking. It's lacking more than the need for people with coding skills. There's more of a need in the marketplace right now for communicators than people who can code. And that shocked me.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. As somebody who sits in front of a microphone for the vast majority of his career at this point, I do feel that there is a vacuum for people that can articulate a message clearly. And one of the things that occurs to me is as you've had what I'd consider to be a non traditional background. First off, being a woman in technology and marketing and then rising to a leadership role, but also bouncing around from different fields and different jobs within organizations, different functions. It's refreshing to hear that you're relying on your ability to communicate. And I think that's something that is common between the two of us. Let me ask you one last question before we let you go. It's something that we ask to everybody that comes on the show. Looking back on your career, now that we've recapped it, what advice do you have for people that are just starting in marketing and honestly I'd like for you to focus being a woman in leadership in the marketing field and in technology what advice do you have for other women that are starting their careers in marketing and technology
2: I have found that connecting with like-minded women has really increased my confidence and my ability to see a path forward that's something that I think a lot of women feel alone They feel like they don't have someone that understands, that they can talk to. And one of the side effects of co-founding Women of Email is that I've actually gotten a lot more out of it than I expected. I find that I get really great advice or I may be having a bad day and people respond in a way that makes me feel restored. So find your community. Even if you don't know what your community is yet, it could be a digital online community like Women of Email. Or it could just be a group of people in your network that you can really relate to. Get together with them. Build that network. Have people that you can call when you're having a business problem because your personal friends or your spouse or your significant other, they may not be able to help you. So find people who are like-minded professionally that you can call. A phone a friend, if you will, when you need to have someone that you can air those grievances with or get advice that's been so tremendously helpful for me. And it's something that I needed more than I even knew. And now that I have this group that I can reach out to, it's just been so helpful.
1: I think that's great advice. Finding your community, finding people that are in a similar situation that you can relate to and using a sounding board is going to do nothing but help you springboard your career forward. And I think that's a good place to wrap up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thank you to April Mullen of Celigent Marketing Cloud for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about April, you can click on the link to her bio in our show notes, or you can find her on Twitter at April D. Mullen, or you could visit her company's website at Celigent, S-E-L-L-I-G-E-N-T dot com. A special thanks to Knit for sponsoring this podcast. If you're interested in testing podcast advertising as a marketing channel, click the link in our show notes or go to benjshap.com slash knit, that's K-N-I-T, to book a strategy session with me where I'll personally help you set up your first Knit campaign. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we've created benjshap.com question, where you can ask us marketing questions that we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out to us on social media. My handle is Ben J. -J Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on both LinkedIn and on Twitter. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got some great episodes lined up. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed next week. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks again to April. And my advice until next time is to focus on keeping your customers happy.